This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut babette. Andy and I would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from whose land we are broadcasting at 3CR and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Climate Action Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, hosted around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Make sure to share the show if you like what you hear. My name is Carly, and my guests today are some Australian psychologists who I consider peers, Mandy Halabi and Julia Simons. I've asked them to come on the show to talk about the field of eco-psychology. Hello, Mandy and Julia. Welcome. Thank you, and hello to you too. Hi, Carly. Thank you. Good to be here. Very, very excited for this. Um, I guess I'll open with a bit of broad questions. So our listeners may not have any idea what eco-psychology is, how would you both describe eco-psychology? I'm happy to start with that. Um, yeah, I would describe, well, I'll start by saying there's probably, from my understanding, not a really clear, rigid definition of eco-psychology at this stage. It's kind of an evolving area, is my understanding. Um, yeah, but in terms of definition, what resonates for me is that it's the psychology of our deep interconnectedness of our interconnectedness with um, ourselves other people other beings the planet the earth that um, yeah kind of in western you know society our understanding psychology has been quite an interior one um, of just of connection with ourselves and for me eco-psychology broadens that it includes that it's very inclusive of that but broadens it to include other all other beings of all kinds um yeah yep that's that's yeah that's kind of foundational for me is how I see it Mm. Mm. yeah yeah that makes it, it, it it is still an evolving terminology and I think it's it is so it's broad and it's very difficult to capture in just a few words because it does go across multiple domains Um, but certainly the idea of self as part of a wider community of sentient beings and other non-sentient beings living organisms um, is kind of I think of it along those biological terms I mean it's it's all the same thing and I often like to think of eco-psychology as seeing your natural environment as your family it's part of your community. Oh, beautiful. I love hearing, um, you know, as Julia said, there is no one succinct definition. So people can really, I guess, come to eco-psychology with whatever attracts them to it first and then mm. have their own way of describing it. And I think you both have a really beautiful way of describing it. When did you both become interested in this, you know, offshoot of psychology? Um, you know, I never really thought that I'm interested in eco-psychology. It never occurred to me that I'm doing anything different. 
And, and, you know, we were talking about earlier how I came into psychology as a mature, very mature student. Um, so I've entered this world and this profession after having lived a life. And throughout my childhood, actually, funny enough, the natural environment was very much part of my, my pleasurable experiences, keeping animals, keeping pets. I remember studying um, these small rodents, I've forgotten what they're called, they're not gerbils, they're something similar, uh, studying them and, and learning how they interact, seeing which partnerships happened. And I had about six cages in my bedroom, it was crazy. And I used to love the smell of spring, which sounds really, how can you smell spring? But there was something in the air and who knows, it was maybe I was picking up electron changes um, or noticing the daisies opening. So I've always had that connection with nature. And one of my favorite places was the shed. Loved the smell of the wooden shed and sitting in there in that wooden you know, room with that warmth and watching the breeze going on outside. So it's part of me to notice nature and to not do anything to damage nature where I can possibly avoid it. And so bringing that into my psychology work it's it seemed just completely natural mm-hmm. so it, it's yeah it's not something I've stumbled across it's something that's occurred very organically brilliant what about mm. you Julia yeah wonderful to hear um Mandy say that um I yes have been practicing as a psych for you know in various aspects for a long time and um And for the last 10 years or so, I've been pretty much purely counselling. And I was really getting to a point with that work where, you know, the ecological crisis is becoming much more imminent. And Mm. um, and then in my counselling work, it it was just separate. Like people would be talking about their grandkids and this kind of future thinking as though everything's kind of okay. And, you know, I'd look into the profession and there's just such a limited um, limited acknowledgement of what was, for me, like just this, this escalating crisis. And I suppose that disparity was really just becoming more and more pronounced over time. And actually to a point where I, that was just one factor, but for a number of reasons, I decided to take an extended break from work because I really, my... You know, I'd almost use the term burnout, really. I'd really got to a point where that satisfaction and connection, something that had given me work that had given me deep satisfaction no longer was. And so I took an extended break and spent a lot of that time in nature and not doing anything big or dramatic, no big treks or anything like that. It was actually just sitting by a river in the same spot day after day for kind of many days. And just the power of that was so over time subtly but quite profound and really with that experience so many things and Mandy mentioned her childhood for me and I'd lost touch of this with this part of myself I live in Melbourne I'd become very urbanized um I'd Nature was hugely important to me growing up. We, you know, I grew up near beautiful natural places near the Murray River. My family did a lot of bushwalking, camping, this kind of stuff. And I'd really lost touch with that. And so I suppose that those few things coming together of feeling in that moment, in that time, the healing power of nature, connecting with lost parts of myself and also coming to terms with that and thinking, where does this fit with my work? My work is supposed to be about healing and this is a missing Mm. piece. 
So I just started putting things into search engines like ecological crisis psychology, like not knowing kind of anything. And then this term eco-psychology comes up. And once I started reading about it, just the resonance and it really a number of missing pieces um, started to fall into place. And I, I felt that spark again for my work, you know, that passion again that, that I'd lost. So, um, yeah, yeah. Mm. You both um, touched on something, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about co-regulation. And when Mandy was talking about, you know, being in the shed, being around the wood, and Julie, when you were talking about being by the river and just sitting there, it's almost like co-regulation from the natural world and natural mm. elements. I also wanted to ask and actually, can get your I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, Carly, because <laughs> I know you're. I'm sorry. I know that's really bad radio <laughs> etiquette. I apologise. <laughs> I do it a lot in sessions. I'm just going <laughs> to. Um, yeah, try and smooth it over when it's just basically rude. But yeah, look, I, I, Carly, I know you're passionate about this area as well. So I'd actually love to hear. You know, I'm really interested in your story of how you came to. Um, eco-psychology so and mm. I'm making assumptions saying you're passionate about it but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we know I am yes, no, yes. I, I think um I always loved the natural world as well like I'm a bit of a beach girl but like you Julia I, I live in suburban Melbourne always have would just go surfing every weekend or second weekend with my dad and my brother loved being out and about but you know as you get older as you start working full-time studying full-time you lose free time and opportunities to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, it wasn't that I was upset or depressed or anything, but I just wasn't having access to the natural world as much as really does soothe me. Um, and also then I, you know, twigged about how significant the existential crisis was of climate change when I was about 19 or so and started slowly getting more and more aware as time passed didn't know that I could actually blend that with psychology because as you know you've both mentioned it is very medical model it is very you know sit in the room in the western culture anyway sit in a room talk shop get out and I think I just started learning about nature therapy and forest therapy you know three years ago or two years before I um, got my registration and I just thought this is this is it mm. this blends mm. everything mm you know, if you look at the data and how being outside and being around blue or green spaces, how it soothes the physical body and the mm. mental health, it just blew my mind that it, that it wasn't morphed together already. So, yeah, that's, that's it. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking how wonderful you've discovered this early in your career as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited and I'm excited to find peers who are just as passionate as well. <laughs> Talking about the existential crisis that is global warming, obviously, um, how do you think the field of eco-psychology can support how humans adapt and, you know, the collective response to this existential crisis? Yeah, I think at the core of this crisis is our disconnection from nature. I don't think... Mm if we as a species were connected with nature, we would be allowing this to happen, that we mm. could actually um, be destroying our habitat, habitat. And as Mandy said before, it'd be destroying our family, like, you know, mm. um, the extinction crisis and, you know, all the things happening. So I think that is the kind of core of it. And 
you know and so yeah how how to build that connection again and I think eco psychology as I hope like the field of psychology is is a, has a role in healing and connecting and so if we can broaden that with our understanding and you know integration of eco psychology then yeah into people's connection with nature with the planet that they're a part of um yeah that that will resolve itself and and look i do actually wonder if this crisis can resolve itself without that connection forming um i actually think it's a it's a foundational piece of that um yeah, that I might agree. be controversial or i don't know but yeah no i completely I agree, agree. Yeah. yeah that makes total sense julia because yeah how can you appreciate it and know that it needs protecting if you're not even the slightest bit connected you need to be scared of losing it and realizing oh I'm alive because I can drink water I'm alive because there's oxygen yeah these we're so worried as a western society our achievement based on our assets and you know our physical appearance and all these aesthetic beauty or whatever at the end of the day if you don't have clean water or oxygen and some plants to plants. I mean, you could even cope without animals. You could just live off the plants. If you don't have that, what have you got? You're not even alive. You don't have a chance. You don't have a planet. So it's real fundamentals getting people to connect to that and letting go of the need to achieve all the other things, mm. which requires some form of exploitation of other humans, mm. animals, mm. land, water source, no matter what it is. If you're going to take more than you need, e.g. make huge profits, and, and own three houses instead of one, you're going to have to be involved in some way in some form of exploitation. Yep. And Mandy, I'd probably add to what you're saying, the fear about, you know, that that, that, um, that being a factor in this um, in reconnection. But what I'd also add to that is the love. Mm. That if people mm. really discover and connect with that love, I believe there's a term, and I can't remember who coined it, but biophilia, this, that we actually did, that we actually have an inherent love of nature because that's who we are, because it's what yeah. we evolved within. Yeah. So, yeah, I think both those are powerful emotions in, in kind of rectifying, healing um, this, this crisis that we're in. Um, mm. Yeah, I fully agree. And it's almost like the, um, you know, I see the role of psychologists is to do that, um, you know, unconditioned uncondition people from overconsumption, unconditioned mm. people to thinking they just have to do this, do that, do that, when we can live slower, more intentional, yeah. you know, and that is quite a radical paradigm shift for decades and decades mm. of you know, just being inside a cubicle, working five days a week, rushing home, huge commute. And I think that I I would love to see more psychologists get on board with this and just have a crack. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've always seen my job as a counselling psychologist as to um, help people become who they are. And I think who we are are interconnected beings mm. so we have we define that in terms of quite narrowly now connection with ourselves and kind of you know our nearest and dearest but yeah psychology has been amazing at that let's you know what can psychology bring to you know encouraging this broader connection and that's 
yeah, as we were talking about before, it's evolving. It's a you know new kind of field, but yeah, I think psychology, if it's doing its job, would be could be a key player. Um, I would hope in in resolving, you know, in in trying to rectify this crisis that we're in. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. I know that there are. It's interesting. Sometimes I will be dealing with my own issues, whatever they are, overwhelmed a little bit with work and getting a bit cranky. And I'll sometimes stop and say, I'm going out. I need a dose of nature. And yeah. it literally doesn't matter where I'm going. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. My husband's like, well, well, where are you going? I was like, it doesn't matter. I just want some nature and I want, I want leaves and I want water. Mm. You know, and I know a few places where there's still a lot of cars, there's still a lot of houses, but there's some water and there's some ducks. And there may be people everywhere, but it doesn't matter. That's all I need is to just look at that water for half an hour or something. And I often think if we had it a lot closer to us, little packets of nature, mm. small parks, you know, just down the road, so you can grab your lunch and walk three or four minutes and sit down, enjoy that. I think we'd have a much nicer environment. And town planning's got a lot to answer for in all of that. Mm. They're shoving all these high rises. Yep. No parks, yep. not enough parking, oh. not a tree for for miles and miles, yeah. and um, and it's and it's really sad, and people don't even mm. realise that that's what they're needing. They're yeah. dealing with all the noise pollution as well. At least yes. trees can sort of absorb some of that noise pollution, and if you have a few sort of tweet tweets of the birds, it actually counteracts a brrr, you know the low rumble of the traffic moving past so we need to start incorporating pockets of nature in our planning so yep. that in all working environments living environments there's lots of places people can go to mm. yes and i think psychology has a habit and i think it's a a, a pattern of individualizing problems mm. that are actually mm. societal problems and that's you're right town planning urban design if it was easy people would be doing this stuff more naturally. So, mm. yeah, so, yeah. you know, we can try and work with individuals and people on this, but, yeah, it's, it's there's so many aspects that mm. um, can, could potentially support it. Agree. We can have smarter cities. We can have, you know, something more pleasurable and lovely to look at and immerse yourself in versus, you know, and I hate to use this cliche term, but it's true, the concrete jungle that some people work in. It's ugly. It's depressing, you know, um, and just not fit for purpose. If I were to come to you, Mandy or Julia, and say, I'm a new client, there's something that I want to explore. I want to do eco-psychology. What does it actually look like in the therapy room or in the therapeutic relationship? What are you, what are you suggesting to me? What are we doing together? I'll leave that to you, Julie, because as I said, I've just come into it and I don't even know what eco-psychology is really. I just know that I use, I'll, I'll briefly explain what I do that I think crosses into those areas, but it, but it wouldn't be the definition I'd give to a client. I'd tell a client, I'm still learning that, um, but I would definitely use, so imagery, for example, um, mm. lots and lots of imagery in, in the relaxation work and the imagery is, is often around nature and I'll invite the clients to actually tell me what's their where do they feel most at peace is it dark 
beautiful forest, rainforest? Is it sandy beaches? Do they like desert and arid land with little tough little plants that you can kick and they don't fall over and rocks and, you know, that crunchy sound of walking on pebbles. And, and so I bring all that imagery into a sort of a mindfulness activity. Mm. Um, and these are activities that come from just basic relaxation therapies to uh, acceptance commitment therapy like the leaves on a stream. So I'll do leaves on a stream, boats on a ship, uh, boats on the water, sorry, and, you know, whatever it is, modify it to the environments that people enjoy plus i will mention doses of nature and i'll encourage them you know when you go to do your warm-up before the gym choose the pathway that goes through some trees and and so modify your behavior so that you take a lot of this on board um do some gardening is another way research the plants that bring in the native bees because we've got a problem with bees now not enough bees mm -hmm. and do plant partnering you know so that you don't have to use lots of pesticides and stuff like that so I kind of yeah I, I don't know that I'm doing eco psychology I think I'm just using my love of nature and the way that it's helped me in my life and bringing that into the therapy with the clients that sounds wonderful Mandy and way above and beyond what I'm doing at the moment <laughs> I'm still working trying to work this out and but I have done some bits and pieces of study on in this area. I want to say, Mandy, you're ticking all the boxes, by the way. Good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all, my understanding is ecotherapy is the applied part of eco-psychology. And so it is in the way we have psychology and psychotherapy. So it's similar kinds of things. So what, yeah, that it is that how do we use ecology as part of therapy? And, yeah, all that stuff sounds wonderful. I don't really have much... To add to that, I'm certainly, um, I'm still working this out, but yeah, I'm certainly talking more to clients about engagement with nature. And I'm finding that they're talking to me about it more. I don't know mm. if I'm noticing it more, but. Mm. No, I'm um, noticing it too. Yeah. Yeah. And even today with a client, she was just talking about um, um, cold water swimming in the morning and oh, what it is yes. like for her. And actually it's quite life changing. We for her it's proving to be such a foundational thing for her in a time of transition um for her and yeah these kinds of conversations are coming up more and so I get to throw in my bit about well there's some research so that because people they, they're teaching them to trust their feelings and their reaction to it seeing mm. this as a legitimate thing does that make sense mm. that oh yeah I'm Seems just going to walk dippy. in the tree yeah exactly or it's a bit woo woo or something mm. actually it's not there's there's decades mm. of science to back it up now so to be able to throw that piece in as well is actually really nice the other thing I'm doing is um and some of the stuff you're doing Mandy I'd like to incorporate into these sessions as part of COVID I started offering sessions outdoors yeah like, uh, <laughs> like it's basically started with being counseling outside yeah it's slowly changing but how people love it and um how they would choose that over being in a room and they talk about how um how um yeah the, that extra beneficial effect of being outdoors um, I've still got mixed feelings about does it mean people keep stuff contained because they're in public mm. versus um, actually that kind of openness that goes with being in nature, what does that bring up? So it's still a 
Um, yeah, sorry if any of my clients are listening, but you are kind of guinea pigs, not guinea pigs in a way, it's all consensual, but yeah, like I'm feeling my way through this, but you know, they are, they're doing it because they want to like, yeah. yeah. So, mm. um, yeah, and I'm keen to keep growing and learning in this area. Mm. And, oh, sorry, Kylie, just as you were talking about that, a couple of things sprung to mind about the sort of walking and talking, um, you know how when you're in a car, people talk when there's less eye contact. Mm. So you've got yeah. that happening as well as you're walking side by side. And then the other thing that that's an area that I studied in up in my honours, which is about um, reciprocal behaviours using percussion. And so as you're walking, there's a rhythm happening. Mm. And so there's this reciprocation. And if you are carefully keeping your timing with the client, there's this sense that you're together. And again, the co-regulation, or you can deliberately slow your pace down if you're noticing there's a little bit of arousal, um, slowing the pace down so they're getting less mm. anxious and mm. you can start slowing the pace of your voice down with your speech. And and it just, then they can regulate a lot easier. So you, it's a it's a kind of um, Swiss army tool, isn't it, really? <laughs> and you can also point out, especially with loneliness, I think it's a great, antidote mm, to loneliness. Yeah, so you can talk yeah. about we're not alone look at that bird it's watching us it's noticing what we're doing mm. we're not alone we just brush past that plant we're not alone we just crunch the leaves underneath they're going to turn to mulch and rot and feed this plant mm. every action we have causes a reaction is that you know an energy transformation mm. uh, so we're interacting with nature therefore nature's interacting with us and so you're not actually alone. You're mm. connected. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. You both mentioned that you'd noticed anecdotally, you know, an increase of people, you know, wanting to be outdoors more or outside or connect to that. What do you think is happening there? I think it is partly COVID. COVID. I think, it, yeah, mm. a lockdown and people, um, particularly in the um, city, like we're kind of, forced into green spaces that because everything else was shut all the shopping centers and cafes and everything well in Melbourne and for you know a very long time um I, I think I, I I don't know it's my sense that's the kind of primary thing but something's taken hold with that it's not just I mean some people will revert back to you mm. know formal ways of being but my sense is with some people something else has taken hold there in terms of how they connect with outdoor spaces um but also i'm just noticing this stuff more in the mainstream media of the benefits of kind of nature and whether that is filtering through to people um i don't know i'd like to hope so but yeah mm, could be and i wonder if um covid has really got people to start realizing their mortality and to start mm. addressing you know what is important you know what, mm. what's what's what are the big issues here and you, you often read or about or meet people who have faced near-death experiences, a serious illness, um, you know, and they've been cured from it. And often the things they say is, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. I realise, you know, like there's bigger things in life to worry about. And so maybe this is happening to everyone. Everyone's sort of getting that little brush with potential death with COVID. And mm. it's causing a lot of inner reflection. Yeah. Really interesting because I note 
you know, I think lockdown um, health restrictions, while we understand them and we support them as healthcare workers, um, we do understand that there are, you know, new, there is nuance to it. And, you know, being stuck in four walls or, you know, um, a house for, you know, months and months on end, gloomy winter, especially in Melbourne, two years in a row. And, you know, everyone experienced lockdown differently. You know, I was lucky to work. But my God, I underestimated the impact it had and how hungry I was to go for a hike. You know, I'd be tuning mm. into the press conferences. When can I leave my 10 kilometres? <laughs> <laughs> I'd walk the same beautiful Mary Creek track like every day. And that was like, I've got a very special connection to that now. It's like lockdown saviour. But you really miss it. And you like mm. it was a craving, you know. Mm. Yeah. And at the same time as that, and I'm also into bushwalking and, yeah, it was, I was like you, like, dang, (laughs) we're dying here. This can't be, you know, this is worth a story. Um, But it really did. And I was was doing a course in eco-psychology at the same time, which was actually really helpful. So, well, but yeah, but on the other side of that, of how do I connect with it here? What are the possibilities Mm. to connect with nature here in the urban environment? So it really actually, because my thought was right, you know, I go out to nature and I connect with it out there in some kind of wildish kind of space. Mm. That actually really broadened to me to the trees in the street, the magpies that I see every day, um, that we know are the same ones because they're so territorial, um, (laughs) that, you know, all that stuff of my local parks really noticing, you know, and I was lucky to have the botanic gardens in my 5Ks. Mm. So, I mean, I know that place so intimately now and what a gift that is. So, Mm. yeah. yeah, so that craving, but I would add to that now. And that just feels so edifying to have, um, yeah, a repertoire, you know, a, a, you know, more of a toolbox of kind of nature connection in an urban environment, which really makes me think about the practice of eco-psychology because I think that this is where it's easiest to disconnect. So, yeah, mm. how, what are our options for helping people connect with nature and appreciate nature in urban environments? Yeah, with, as you say, Mandy, not the best town planning. So, mm. yeah, yep. Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, <clears throat> I found and I do find it's, it can be tricky trying to figure out and get a grasp on, you know, what to recommend and when and how, like how big to go with people, you know, because you might be talking to someone who's never gone for a hike before mm. and that's common, you know, and talking to them about that, it's like, oh, I don't know, like where do I have to go? Like do I have to drive four hours out? And I was like, well, no, you could, there's a lot of urban hikes you can do as well. What aspects particularly about eco-psychology really, really excite you? I'm going to do my thing, Carly, of asking you another question. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're talking before about the kind of practice of eco-psychology and I know mm. you work with children and I suppose mm. that's something that hasn't come into our conversation yet because they're a, they're, a, they're such a crucial piece of this. So, yeah, oh, yeah, like Mandy and I are talking about what we're noticing and what we're trying out. Mm. But, yeah, I'm curious, what, what, are you noticing anything with kids and are you trying any of this stuff with kids? And 
It's a really interesting question because I think um, in the context of the my primary place of work, it is um, a sprawling, booming um, growth corridor in Melbourne. And, you know, there's the like, suburbs that have just popped up out of nowhere, you know, side by side together. And particularly in the suburb I work in, it gets very, very hot and very, very cold. Mm. You know, there's not much trees around, not many mountains or anything. It's flat, dry. Um you know, town planning, has it been the best? Definitely not. It's not a very nice area to walk through or drive through. And I think the kids, the kids that I work with, they're very switched on. They're pissed off that the adults around them or their parents don't give a shit about the climate crisis. They're panicking. They're anxious. They are wow. like, it's it's incredible to see because I certainly wasn't that switched on when I was there. I was thinking about Blink-182, skateboarding and boys, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's, I wish I wish I was there. But um. There is a disconnect, you know, their their mental health is, you know, a lot of factors in Melbourne have impacted children and young people's mental health. So I think where you are, what you have access to, what your parents do really all factor in. So what I try and do as much as possible when the students are open to it is do sessions outside and just, you know, interact, like find patterns under the trees uh, you know the sun how is it coming through when we're lying down talking about whatever's stressing you out and that's really really calming for them mm. and I might walk through on lunch times and see them doing that and thinking ah we did that together I'm glad you're you know doing it more mm. so I guess I'm excited about like we've been saying showing people that nature doesn't have to be you know the most beautiful beach in Australia that you have to fly to or drive to for a few hours it can literally be something in your backyard it can be you know a herb that you planted and now you have peppermint tea all the time it can be your animals walking your animals all the time just connection to you know the biological world and I guess what I'm excited for is behavior change yeah. you know trying to show people the outdated ways of thinking about what it is to love the earth are so like you don't have to wear flares you don't have to chuck up a peace sign you don't have to <laughs> not shower every two weeks you know because I think a lot of people do still think that um so I'm excited about that and I do really hope that you know the next few generations they just have a completely different connection to the earth and that's that's the status quo yep yeah, mm. good point. I notice actually with my kids, because so mine are all sort of teens, young adults, and um, the conversations we we have, would one will be screaming at the other one, put it in the recycling bin. You know, it's like, so good. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> oh, my God, you could have gone to an op shop. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to go and buy something new. And they're actually thinking beyond to the environment, to, to the sort of economic. Um, exploitation is mm. going on as well do you know that's just a slave trade in another country just because you're distanced from it doesn't mean you're not paying your part you know so they'll have these arguments these conversations and it's it's fantastic mm. and I'm like you know I've got like a worm farm and I get really excited the other day I found a fluoro worm I don't know how he managed to be fluoro but oh my God. somehow yeah it escaped from the worm farm I think and I've got this whole area where I've got like a compost that I'm building, which is just sticks. That's all it is, getting damp in the corner. And my kids, I can actually run in with a worm. <laughs> Excited mum. <laughs> Look, kids, mum's got a fluoro worm. Like it's, you know, it had this iridescent machine and they're interested. Mm. They're actually like, oh, wow, mum, that's, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, is it my kids just being really loving 
or are they actually interested? <laughs> and I think they're genuinely interested. They're interested with the fact that an old farty mummy who's with that generation, you know, generation don't give a poop, generation who's wrecked the planet yeah, is actually yeah. caring. Mm, I think yeah. that the kids, when they see that in older people, um, they really appreciate that. Yeah. So I've yeah, I've definitely seen, yeah, they're completely different to how I was. When I was their age, I thought like that and I was the weirdo. Mm. Now you're not weird for thinking like that. That's yeah. how you should be thinking. So it's wonderful. Um, in terms of what excites me, absolutely, behaviour change. And probably what also excites me about this is the healing potential. A lot of the problems we have in a, a, a constructed you know, these massive rates of anxiety and depression and all these kinds of things that a deep sense of interconnectedness could heal, could alleviate. Mm. So that's, and even, and it doesn't have, they don't have to be massive. That's the thing that surprises me about nature. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, you go on a big, you know, you um, you know, you trek across the Nullarbor or something. It doesn't have to be a massive thing you can mm. this can be there can be small ways for this change to happen which um and it is can be as individual as we are so and the healing potential that in terms of individual and society ills I think are you know are is huge and so that's mm. that's exciting yeah as well yeah. as yeah behavior change and Mandy your kids becoming more and more the norm <laughs> like yeah yes. Yeah. And, you know, when you're talking about the connection to nature and healing, you know, even just protecting natural pockets of the world more and more and more, you know, stop pillaging and just yeah. trying to extract as much value as oh, yeah. companies can instead investing. And what is, are there any concerns that you have about this field or anything kind of related to psychology? I could go on a rant here, Mandy. Would you like go to go? Go on a rant. Go on a rant. I'm thinking of evidence-based blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, my concern is the lack of profile, really. Like mm. that, is, that is what I have a huge concern about. Um, and, yeah, and the... Yeah, how come this isn't more integrated? How come this isn't more integrated in the field of psychology? Like... Um, yeah, that that is a concern mm. to me. Another concern is that unfortunately, a lot of this stuff is seen as fringe or woo-woo, like because of you know people doing moon dances or you know whatever it might look like. A lot of mm. this stuff is seen is as um, not for me because you know hippies do that or you know mm. it's it's kind of sections of it has a, have a bad rap, and this is something that a bad reputation, not you know I don't think deservedly so as I say it's as individual as you know mm. we are I think how we connect with nature so yeah one thing that particularly interests me is how do we mainstream this how do we um that element is wonderful but yeah how do we broaden it you know with this solid foundation of scientific research um so that yeah it gets the um yeah so it becomes as diverse as people are yeah Mm. yeah so the same thing I mean it's it's the it's the research side of thing I mean the way that psychology is is taught um it's so much about the theories and the research mm. and yes we need to come from evidence base but the 
it's, it, psychology is evolving so fast that I think the research can't keep up with it. With it, you know, fourth wave therapies now. With this, for example, the tapping, um, you know, the the the, the emotion so, release mm-hmm. tapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, EMDR took a long time to get itself established, and mm-hmm. um, that's being used quite a lot. The acceptance commitment therapy. I think they had a bit of a struggle as well. But I think what we can possibly do is just sharing a lot of ideas. And so, for, as an example, acceptance commitment therapy with the ideas of focusing on the breath, taking the focus back to the breath so that you can stay present in the moment. We can just come up with things other than breath that incorporate nature. And mm-hmm. I think that will take people outside of their own body and outside of the, the consult room. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can start sharing those ideas and sharing self-care ideas. So mm-hmm. I remember seeing a list of self-care ideas and they're like, get your nails done, Go mm. have a massage, and you mm. know. And I, and I remember reading it, thinking, "Well, that's all well and good, but what if you don't like touch? What if you haven't got the money for these things? Yeah, or retail therapy. Um, how about you just get a plant and you drop water on it and watch how amazing it is each time mm. you drop the water. The leaf bends and yields, and then springs up again. Yeah, beautiful. And, and it's like a metaphor for life. There's lows and highs. Mm. There's bending and yielding and there's coming back resilience and so we can I think we need to brainstorm all these different ideas and maybe just share them amongst us and so self-care doesn't have to be something manufactured by human humans Mm. the care can come from your natural environment yeah yeah at the risk of being a bit political but I think yeah that self-care has been hijacked by consumerism that Mm. you have to spend money yeah Yeah. exactly Mm. monetized Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and that is just all part of the problem that we yeah. uh, just become these kind of, you know, we're in this yeah. system of this economy and that's how we function. So, yeah, exactly, Mandy. How do we step outside that? How do we share ideas around that? So to, and that's that's inherent in broadening our sense of self that, you know, I'm mm. more than just someone who should be put, putting pressure on myself and running around and being mm. so busy I don't have time to connect with myself or connect with anything else because I just have yeah. to keep, worrying about mortgages and super and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's all kind of parallel processing around the kind of healing and change that's needed. Um, Hmm. I love that so much that we talked about the monetization of self-care because it's kind of like the um, employee blame of burnout. Like it must be a you problem. So go get your hair cut, go Mm. spend money, and then you'll feel better. And if you don't feel better, it's probably still your fault. You weren't (laughs) self-caring enough, you know? Yeah. I think what concerns me is that, yeah, like you said, the pace and the rate of the evidence-based stuff. So I think it maybe was Japan who might have been the first country, and I might be wrong on this, open to being wrong. Um, Fact check me if people are listening in and I am wrong. But I first became aware of other countries, um, you know, health systems recommending, you know, going for a hike or going into the forest and getting into nature if they were stressed or if they were, you know, um, having like high blood pressure. And I think Canada has done that recently as well within the last three weeks. They've um, given people yearly passes to national parks. And I thought, are you effing kidding me? How come we aren't doing this here? Yeah, yeah that's where are, brilliant. Where are the doctors? Where are, where's the psychiatric association? Where is the presence yeah. of the health bodies just to be like, get the bloody hell outside? Yeah, exactly. And I think that concerns me the most. Like where, I don't know where as a country we are at, but it feels like we aren't 
progressive. No, no. Well, mm. you know, we could probably say that in a number of arenas, but yes. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, my understanding is green scripts, as they're called, uh, you know. Um, oh, green scripts, that's great. Yeah. Um, great name for a podcast now I think about it, you know. Yeah. There we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Mandy, I'm noticing an English accent, but I don't know how long you've been here. But my understanding is that, yeah, this is... I don't know how commonplace, but it's certainly happening in the UK. Um, it's yeah, not I haven't just been a fringe... there for a very long time. Yeah, 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 yeah but they so... are much more. And the US too, I think that kind of thing's going on, that doctors do, um, yeah, prescribe this kind of thing, of be that oh, gardening, yes. be that hiking, mm. you know, be that whatever it looks like or as, you know, I believe it can be as specific as, you know, 10 minutes per day in your local park kind of thing. Um, yeah. So nice. Yeah. yeah, we definitely need to start doing that, I think. And, um, yeah, I, I like what you were saying about, yeah, the monetization of self-care because it, it, it is the whole, is it zeitgeist, is that the right word? I think that's it. But it all ties mm. and it's, it's mm. feeding the whole problem we've got yeah. in the first mm. place exactly. anyway. It feeds that disconnection from other beings and um, and in ourselves in some ways it, mm. it can it doesn't help us connect with ourselves like I just go and consume something and I'm supposed to feel better like yeah yeah where am I in that what's important to me like how does it feel to do this like is mm. this or do I feel better when I do that it doesn't kind of yeah it's just staying in that consumption mode does keep us disconnected I think mm. yeah. yeah yeah I, I often think about um is a Bhutan who have the um, oh, national. Um, it's not DDP, and I think New Zealand are talking about adopting it as well. Um, yes, I think they might have started gross national happiness product or something. Something, or, yeah, like yeah. a well-being kind of metric. Yeah, and you know, I feel like that is yes a radical change, but that would encapsulate much more meaningful measures of success. Because if you've mm. got a country full of people who are rich but they all want to kill themselves, I mean, what? Yeah. Mm. yeah I saw a great t-shirt the other the other day that said wanting less is success <laughs> I thought, uh, yes I, actually I do <laughs> want something from one. that I want that t-shirt so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely that is a um, good one <laughs> what are your goals and how are you going to try to help eco psychology evolve this year hmm I think um Maybe I should just hypnotise all my clients and tell them to become town planners and put lots of park pockets. Yeah, I mean, I think we could probably do maybe some action on what we were just talking about, um, that there's no bodies behind the idea of, of promoting nature as a healing modality. So maybe we can have a conversation with some of the, the leading health bodies Mm. about promoting that um communicating obviously peer peer meetings with each other and, and sharing the ideas I definitely want to it's kind of inspired me now to come up with my nature self-care list mm. which might have some really crazy things in it but um yeah it's really inspired me to sort of come up with that and maybe just put that up on on some forums and say hey everyone copy this do some of this stuff because we don't mm. think of them naturally unless you are inclined that way 
or you've had that experience, you may not think of that, particularly if you are sucked into the whole consumerism, like I'm feeling bad, so I'm going to go get my nails done. Mm. Yeah, so this is how some people will feel better. So I think that's something that I definitely want to be doing a lot more of to just get this spoken about, spread the word. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah, exactly, Mandy. And like my kind of dream when I first started thinking about this was that nature connection is as commonplace as mindfulness or Mm. yoga or exercise or diet, all that stuff that we see as as core to well-being, that, um, that it is just kind of normal, that it's just it's just a normal part of being healthy and living and that's what we do and that's so, yeah, like, um, you know, we all met through our professional body where we are trying to start planning on doing some lobbying in this area and it's certainly a goal of mine to give as much in whatever skill I can to that um, and get it on whatever agenda, I, you know, we can. And, yeah, as Mandy says, you know, all the health bodies and whoever. So. Um, yeah, so it just becomes more normal, basically, mm. that we're thinking about this stuff and practising it. Mm. Yeah. 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 Carly, yeah. I, want to, I do want to throw that question back to you again. <laughs> yeah, the advocating for that to the health bodies directly and kind of putting the pressure on, 100% yes. And I also think maybe it's just starting from the initial outset of when people get connected to me. And I think I spoke about this in one of our meetings one time, but just building the question, how much time in nature are you getting per week? Do you get out in your garden in my initial assessments? Because I think, you know, you can normalise it, you know, from a hundred different perspectives. And I think it's just, yeah, that paradigm shift, you know, how, I guess, you know, organisations started being trauma-informed. Well, now the expectation is your nature and, like, yeah, ecosphere informed. Mm, That's, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Even asking language. that question, it's yeah. really modeling mm. the idea that it's important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I think we should do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Include it on intake forms. I think that's great. Yeah. 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 Like mm. a nature, yeah, interview. Yeah, component. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. nature interview. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and probably my other goal is to keep is to live this as well, not get hooked as I know I do by the Mm. old patterns so that's, yeah, so that I'm being fully authentic in, you know, in in trying to promote this. Um, Do you want a fluoro worm? Yes, I do. So you can be authentic. I'll figure out a fluoro (laughs) worm for you. Yes, that would that would really help me stick to this eco psychology path. Thank you. Stick to you as well. (laughs) Yeah, you can keep it on your bookshelf. Turn around. Accountability. (laughs) I don't think I'll use it in sessions just yet. That'll take some time to integrate. I think. I think the um that um authenticity thing is really important as well because I feel like there are weeks when it is going to be hard to get into nature in whatever respect because life still continues Mm. you know the demands don't change and I think that will also help normalizing that you know each week will look different you know it's kind of like exercise you know maybe some weeks you're able to move your body more maybe sometimes less but it's about that committed action that intention and putting that time aside consciously just to you know invest in you and the earth Mm. exactly exactly Mm. 
Is there anything else you'd like to mention about eco psychology at all? Um, I'd probably like to, yeah, do some maybe a bit more practical stuff. Um, yeah, some more ideas. Mandy had some wonderful ideas. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that this isn't about therapy. This is about, well, in fact, there's one wonderful worker, one, you know, thinker and practicer of this area called Mary Jane Rust in the UK. And she talks about kind of eco psychotherapy. So I'm kind of thinking about those decision, those distinctions that eco psychotherapy is bringing it into a psychotherapeutic context. Ecotherapy is more engaging with the you know ecology um, therapeutically in general that it doesn't have to be you know because you've got mental health issues or whatever. So mm. um, there are so many ways that that can happen. You know we've mentioned pets, Mandy. You've talked about pets. We've talked about gardening. We've talked about um, getting outdoors. It can be you know, indoor plants, it can be really noticing, it could be one indoor plant. The research is that even looking at pictures of nature, listening to recordings mm. of bird songs, um, that, um, yeah, that there are so many ways that we can engage with this on a daily basis. It's that really, and well, the research is two things around this is my understanding attention and regularity so it's how the quality of the attention that we give when we're you know engaging with natural environments and um yeah there really is benefits as we know for so many things that support our well-being regularity so um there's a practice that you know in this area called sit spot which involves just going and sitting in the same spot and really noticing what's happening in that spot you know ideally mm. for a long period of time could be five minutes and could be a backyard really attending to all the different things and noticing the changes over time of and I suppose that was my experience by the river too um, of really noticing the detail of that spot it doesn't these don't have to be grand dramatic gestures but they can be I think this part of it noticing the minutiae noticing mm. you know all those varied life forms so um yeah, that probably is what I would like to add, you know, do a bit mm. of a soapbox thing around that there, this doesn't have to be a big deal or big effort. Mm. Um, yeah, it just can be a quite naturally, excuse the pun, you know, integrated into our lives. Yeah, yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about um, that connection, the regularity and the quality of the connection. I was thinking about sleep. And so I have sometimes had clients where I've just talked about the circadian rhythm and said well if we were yes. chickens <laughs> um then when the sun starts to go down we start looking for our bed I mean that's mm. what we're supposed to be doing and um and as soon as the the, the dawn breaks you just hear beep, 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 you know the little chicks and <laughs> you hear this first thing in the morning and, it, and in fact if we followed those the day and night patterns a lot closer we would probably have much more restful sleeps, but we ignore it and we um, synthetically simulate daylight and force ourselves to stay awake watching TV or reading, you know, with a light on and stuff. And it's very, very unnatural. And so to reset our circadian rhythms, I think sometimes it's good to really engage with nature, not just go to bed at nine or 10 or whatever, is to actually go outside. So I sometimes tell clients, go outside and actually look at the sun setting. Mm. notice it's setting and if you feel that sensation in your body of 
<sighs> then don't ignore it. Just go straight mm. to bed. Don't to mm. put the lights on. Don't turn your screens on. Just go straight to bed. Mm. So in, again, we can maybe pull that into some sleep studies and find out, okay, if you actually go and look at a sunset, does it work? You know, mm. what's the mm. melatonin Beautiful. Yeah. rate when someone actually goes out and does that? And the same with PMDD, so premenstrual, um, can't be dysmorphic disorder, is it? I don't know. That just came up, PMDD. But basically premenstrual problems that are, you know, intense depression, anxiety, mm. or they're just an intensity of your normal symptoms. Um, that's another area where people, women could maybe make sure they look at the moon every night because our cycles naturally line up with lunar cycles. And um, if they engage with the moon, every night maybe they'll start getting a little bit more regularity in their bodies and again it could work as a therapy so it'd be great to see the research on that yeah yeah absolutely that sunset thing i'm going to steal that idea so thank you because a lot of the teens i work with um you know screen time screens. is a huge yeah. Yeah, screen and sleep you know the beast with the two backs um, and the sit spot concept, I think, is beautiful. I've been doing that um, without knowing what that oh, is. So thank you for giving well, me a name for that, Julia. Yeah. There's a there's a beautiful, huge, stunning gum in my backyard. Oh. And I'll just make a cup of tea, go out and sit and watch it. And, you know, there'll be the periwinkle blue sky behind it on beautiful days. And there'll be all these different varieties of birds. We've had, you know, parakeets, cockatoos just yelling at each other, mm. you know, crows, magpies. And I'll just sit and sometimes I'll just be moved to tears because I'm like, you know, each of you are so beautiful, having fun, playing, you know, it's beautiful seeing animal behavior. And I just think you are all so deserving of being saved and just mm. living for as long as you can as a species. And mm. I feel like that sit spot, I feel like that could really help a lot of people as well. Again, just you don't have to be leaving your house even, just mm. chuck a sit in your backyard. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Is there anything else either of you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I'll just say thank you for what has actually been a really enjoyable yeah. Yeah, discussion. Thank you. And Carly. it's really nice. Actually, I have got something to add. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really nice talking to people that get what I'm talking about, that, mm. that think it is cool to have a fluoro worm and, and understand what it's like to sit <laughs> and, and look at trees and, and enjoy that you know it's, it's really it's really pleasant and I, and I suppose I've assumed that it's unusual maybe again because of uh, my childhood of being the weird girl that likes nature so much <laughs> um, and maybe I've got to carry that assumption forward and actually mm. it's not that unusual it's just that people almost need to be given permission Mm. that to be told it is actually quite normal to want to be sitting on the grass walking on the grass looking at the trees and and mm. it's part of our natural way of being we're supposed to be doing that so go do it yeah mm. yeah definitely as per usual i'm revigorated after talking about this with yes. other people as passionate yeah <laughs> <laughs> happens to me every time yeah <laughs> So, look, thank you both so much for your time, Mandy and Julia. Um, I'm sure and I'm hopeful that a lot of the listeners are able and invigorated as we all are to go and just try to connect with nature in whatever way that is in the earth, you know, sometime after they listen to the episode and then start their journey if they haven't already started or deepen their journey 
Once again, that was Mandy Halabi and Julia Simons for 3CR on the Climate Action Show. Make sure you tune in next week. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.